If there was a missing piece of information that is costing you money now, or could cost you money in the future, when would you want to find out about it? Ideally, you would want to learn about it right now. It's best to learn these critical facts before you make any financial decisions, because not knowing could have profound effects on your financial future. One of the best ways to make money is to avoid losing it in the first place. So we focus on all the missing facts to keep your money from falling through the cracks, and we engineer tax strategies to reduce burdens on your income. Welcome to the Roadmap to Retirement podcast with Ken New from Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management. As a fiduciary advisor, Ken focuses on creating individualized holistic plans rather than cookie cutter portfolios. Listen in as Ken and his guest experts explore key retirement and tax strategies that every pre-retiree should consider to reach their pinnacle. Now, onto the show. A roadmap to retirement would be a wonderful thing, and it does exist right here with Ken New. This is his podcast where he will share his more than 20 years of experience in financial planning and wealth management. I'm Patrice Sikora. And in this inaugural episode, we will learn all about Ken from Ken. So, hey, Ken, I'm really looking forward to this podcast and your thought leadership. But before we get there, you've got to tell me about you. What was your road to financial planning? Patrice, I'm super happy to be here. Um, this is my first podcasting, and I'm really excited to do it. I'm really excited to talk about myself, my practice, but a little bit of background about me. I was born and raised in Montana, the oldest of five. And I can always remember growing up as the oldest after my mother and father got divorced that, you know, shocks. I'm stuck taking care of my brothers and sisters. Hmm. And this is kind of a tough thing. And it was one of my first profound moments, I think, that I thought was pain at the time. And it really positioned me for... Uh, where I evolved in life. I got through high school and wanted to go on to uh, play baseball. I thought that would be a lot of fun to do. And um, yeah, well, I get a baseball scholarship. I was going to go to college after I graduated. And guess what? Over the summer, they canceled the program. Oh. So there that happened. So I said, well, I'm going to put myself through college. And uh, I went about doing that. And um a dollar sixty-five an hour back in those days. So my first summer after the freshman year was like I'm trying to make it on a dollar sixty-five an hour, make enough money to get through college, and that wasn't happening. So I had an opportunity to go to Alaska. Now this now, is from Montana to Alaska, right? That's I was going to Montana State University in the great state of Montana, the big sky country. <laughs> and um, so I had an opportunity to hop a, a truck. A uh, trucker was heading uh, up to Anchorage and going to drop some uh, supplies up there so I could hop that truck, get up there and work on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Now, we're going back to the late 1970s here. And that's when they opened up and they were going to build the Trans-Alaska Pipeline from Prudhoe Bay above the Arctic Circle, down to um, down to the, the Seward Peninsula, and then drop the oil and then uh, send it on down. So that was uh, paying $10 an hour. So I did the math Whoa. and I said, 
way better opportunity going up there to Anchorage, Alaska, work the summer, make big bucks, come back down, and I'd have a fighting chance to get through my next year. So, but what were you doing? What were you going to do for 10 bucks an hour? So all I had to do was laborer's work. And I was a farm boy. So early to bed, early to rise, right? You get up and work all day, work real hard. Sun goes down. That's when you get, get to go home. I thought this is going to be easy schmeasy. I'm just <laughs> going to go up there and make some money and come back and put myself through the second year. What was interesting about that is, is I got up to Anchorage and I loved it. This is a great state. I was there in June, July, and August, mm -hmm. and the sun doesn't go down in the summertime. Literally, the longest day is uh, the sun probably down a little bit of a hue for oh, a couple hours or so, then it's back up again. So an amazing experience. I decided to stay. So my summer vacation to uh, Anchorage, Alaska to make some money ended up being 10 years. <laughs> what happened to school? So I then decided, well, I'll just do some classes at Anchorage uh, Community College. So again, over that 10-year period, I um, went to school a little bit, worked a lot, found out that the winters were hard. Not only cold, which I experienced in Montana, but it was also dark all the time. Mm -hmm. What was sunny all the time in the summer was dark all the time in the winter. Not so much fun. I made it through the first year. A couple years later, met my wife, Linda. Linda and I were married in Anchorage, Alaska in 1983. And I'm happy to say we're still married today. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. And so we stayed there in Alaska until 1988 and then decided we were going to get out of Alaska. Now, what had happened in the interim is that I had an opportunity to uh, grow a restaurant chain with a couple of partners called Seafood Restaurants of Alaska. It was a Skipper's Seafood and Chatterhouse chain. And what's interesting about that is, is that when I got to Anchorage, it was about 40, 50,000 people. By the time I left, it had grown to 250,000 people. Oh, my. Now, those numbers by today's standards are like paltry. They're not any real big deal. But boy, was an expansion of the Anchorage area there. And we had uh, Elmendorf Air Force Base there. We had Fort Richardson was there. So we had a great supply of uh, human resources, workers, mm -hmm. guys that needed part-time jobs. And of course, all the need then for the, the product that we had, which was seafood, which was popular. And it was quick service style. And what was interesting about that is I learned my probably second most profound lesson in life. And that is what goes up can go down. Mm. So we grew from one restaurant to five. And then in 1987, people kind of remember that things weren't going so well economically, very much influenced by the Asian markets in Alaska. And yep, everything crashed. And we were at about 50% of our volume. And we just had guessed that we were going to continue to grow into infinity, I guess. Um, and the idea then was is that we just sold out and said, no, nope, we're done here. Uh, move on. And that's the economics. That's the, the kind of ever-changing world that you have out there. And sometimes you get caught up in the 
in the noise and what's going on at the time. And you kind of forget that, um, you know, every year is a new year to come back and make it happen again. So we, uh, we ended up deciding that we spent enough time here in Alaska. Let's try something different. And you went to California. We did. We went to Southern California. My dad was living down there at the time and thought, well, what the heck? That's a great place to go to. We'll go from the frigid cold of Alaska to the beautiful San Diego area. <laughs> and I really, really liked it. Uh, unfortunately, Linda did not like it at all. It had highways and it had traffic and it was a, a, a huge amount of people. And 250,000 people live in Anchorage, Alaska was way different than what's going on in Southern California. So there you have it. We decided, what are we going to do from here? Well, we ended up making our way to Merritt Island, Florida. That's a heck of a long way to make your way. I mean, really, Ken. First of all, Alaska, California, I get that. California, all the way over to Florida. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Linda was born and raised oh, okay. in Merritt Island, Florida. Mm -hmm. She graduated from Merritt Island High School. And so the real question is, is that what got Linda from Merritt Island High School to Anchorage, Alaska? <laughs> and that is hilarious because two days after she graduated from high school, her father gave her a one-way airline ticket to Anchorage, Alaska to visit her cousin who lives up there. A one-way ticket? Was he telling her something? One-way ticket. Uh, well, part of the story is there may have been a boy involved. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. We'll hold that for another podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, long story short, we met a few years later. Again, we got married. And so when our decision-making was, oh, geez, where are we going to you know, plant ourselves for the next voyage in life? Um, Florida just made all the sense in the world to me. I'd been down to here to Florida many times, loved it, weather you can't beat, mm -hmm. uh, great place. And Merritt Island, Florida, when we got here in 1993, was a small town. And it is, by today's measure, still pretty much a small town, but it's way busier than uh, it was back in the day. And Kennedy Space Center today is just booming and lots of things going on there and so on. But we moved here in 1993, and uh, we've been in Brevard County ever since, which is the longest tenure we've ever had of any place that we've lived in both our lifetimes. And now you were still in the restaurant business at this point? You know, what I did when I got to uh, Merritt Island, Florida, is I decided I needed to make a change in my career path. I, I'd had amazing experiences in the restaurant business. And typically, I had the opportunity to fix things that weren't working well uh, in the restaurant industry. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, is that, uh, you know, I think people will make all the difference in any business that you're in. And I recognize that in the restaurant business, I wanted to have the best people possible to be working at every level in those restaurants. And so kind of got a reputation of being a fix-it guy. I would just come in and do what you would call common sense things like um, pay them more money and hire better people and then create the whole model such that we delivered to the customer what they were looking for. And they were very happy with that. However, to do that was seven days a week, 24 hours a day, uh, 365 days a year. I mean, literally we had uh, maybe Christmas off and a Thanksgiving day off, but uh, other than that, it was 
it was always all the time intense type work if you want to have that kind of success and so i decided i really wanted to do something different and get out of the industry fortunately the john hancock a large life insurance company was doing some hiring here in the brevard county area they wanted to put um, put in place uh, a, a new office and fortunately, Linda's best friend from high school was part of the decision makers at the John Hancock. Didn't know that when I applied for the work, but found that out afterwards. So I had an opportunity to start with the company, got on board, got into sales management with my sales background. And um, I was the 13th ranked sales manager for the John Hancock in my third year with the company. And what that got me is a pink slip yeah. when the company demutualized. And, um, and, and that whole process is just a, a simple one. They decided they wanted to go from being a mutual company owned by policyholders to a stock company that sold their stock on Wall Street. So therefore, employees like myself were not needed. And they were very good about it. We got uh, compensated properly and so on. But there was my third profound moment is big companies can tell you when they want you and when they don't want you. And it's, as they say, not personal. It's business. It's just business. Yeah. So then I went into private practice and founded Pinnacle Financial Network that has evolved to Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management. I did that in 1997 and I am still in practice, still in Merritt Island 26 years later. That's fantastic. It's a great story and such a foundation to be in financial planning. Fantastic stuff. But what makes you different? Are there financial planners up and down Main Street? What makes you different? What do you do for your clients? I'll go back to one of the points that I made a little bit earlier. And I'm a people person. And, and, and I think every facet of life has to do with your relationships with people. And I just love when people are happy and it makes me sad when they're not. And, you know, it sounds very plain vanilla, but the, the idea behind being successful in any kind of business is to be a people person. So very often I get feedback from people about other financial firms. And I don't really know that I've got intimate knowledge about why I'm different than other people as much as what I hear is the big firms are maybe not as people-oriented, that you're more of a number. I hear that a bit. Uh, certainly farthest from the truth with my firm. I, I consider myself really a, a person who is um, a, a force for good. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is, is that the a force for good, meaning that I want to do the very best at what I do for my clients. And, and I think that requires uh, energy and enthusiasm. I think it really requires the idea that you need to be able to show up just like you do for your family. You got to show up every day uh, and put your best foot forward. And I think family is the way I look at the the, the people, our clients, um, because I think they're just an extension of my family. And reading some of the things you've written, I found to be very fascinating because education, education of the clients is important to you well as well. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's part of understanding why we may be a good fit for a certain client or a prospect, someone who's been referred. Uh, we consistently hear from those family and friends and associates of our clients. Um, and, 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 and part of that is helping them to understand what is not understandable about the financial services world. We constantly hear the jargon. And at the end of the day, uh, what, what clients want is to know that you are there for them, first and foremost, that there is a relationship and that relationship begins with helping them to understand why you say the things you do, why you make the recommendations that you do. And demonstrate that, uh, succinctly demonstrate that. And, and I think, you know, part of making that happen is, is that you want to keep up with the ever-changing world of finance. And it is day-to-day. But when I look at the last 20 years, there have been three or four very profound circumstances that have happened over in to our industry over that period of time. And, you know, I'd love to be able to get that into future podcasts and really help folks to understand that. But the, the question of education really is an ongoing repeat. Um, as they say, the mother of all learning is repetition, repetition, repetition. And so I just find different ways to be able to explain the same thing from a different vantage point. Simply because I think that, you know, we're all human beings and, and, and as a human being, sometimes you're listening to something, but you're not really understanding it. True. And you're listening, so, but you're not hearing. Yeah. Good way to put it. Yeah. I, I, I think that's so relevant. And so I, I think that is something that I constantly remain aware of that maybe other industries don't, other folks in this industry don't. We definitely are looking at overall financial strategy versus um, what companies tell us that we should do for our clients, cookie cutter type approaches. What's the favorite thing for you when you're working with retirees and, and pre-retirees? What, what do you like the most? Well, we have a, a little bit of a saying in our, in our practice and, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be happy to be able to introduce, you know, some of the the ladies that work with me and they're they're very special, uh, very talented, been around a long time and so on. But the the thing about it is is that to be able to to be able to get into the the dialogue with a client and and understand what what's their why, what's important to them, what why why would they have a certain predisposition to a certain thought process in our industry. This financial services is is such a huge conversation. I mean, my gosh, we can talk about private markets versus the um, the public markets and have a day-long discussion about all of that. Yet for a typical person, they're going to be, you know, very wired into one or the other. And so you you get to that by listening to people, asking those probing questions, and then listening for the why and coming back and rinsing and repeating that. I like the thing, the point that you just made. You ask questions. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are you ever going to know what someone's 
thinking until you ask that open-ended question that that has to center around why. You know, there's a great TED talk. Well, there's many great TED talks on why, but I can tell you that in my industry, what's so important, I think, is to understand a few things about our clients, especially someone who's been with us for like 20 years. Here's, Here's someone who typically will say that they've been here for 20 years and their circumstances have changed over and over again over that period of time, yet the model still remains successful. And, and the reason for that is, is that we have to have conversations with our clients in an ever-changing world and through the lens that it is going to be changing for them, anticipating that, understanding that, and listening to what it is that they're talking about. Ken, what designations do you have? So the designations in my industry typically center around the types of uh, advice that you can give. So I'm a registered rep and I am an RIA. I'm an what that means is a registered investment advisory firm. I'm an investment advisor representative carrying FINRA licenses 7, 24, 63, and 6. And so a lot of that jargon just means that I'm regulated by the federal government and I have these licenses that allow for me to have discussions with high net worth people, accredited investors, those kinds of people that are looking for uh, something more than just, oh, I'm going to put you in the stock market and our plan will work if the stock market goes up. This is a much different approach uh, and high net worth people are looking for that do you work with people outside of Florida? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the licenses that I have are for the, uh, really for the nation. And um, so every state is viable. However, we have to license in each state. So it's not practical to have licenses uh, in all 50 states. So we're licensed in, oh, I think 12 or 13 different other states that we uh, talk to people about. Many times they'll move back to their home state from Florida. And so that is the case uh, in some of these uh, different licenses that we have. Well, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So once you moved down to Florida, you stayed forever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I always thought that would be the wise thing to do and just go back and visit those cold weather places. But that's not what happens in reality. Um, When the kids move away or kids have grandkids, then a lot of times uh, grandma and grandpa want to be by them. When, and speaking of grandpas and grandmas, when you're not working and you're not doing your, well, I'm going to let you talk about the volleyball, but when you're not working, what do you like to do? What's your hobby? Well, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I think first and foremost, the thing that I, I really focus on is, you know, taking care of myself, really. I, I, I mentioned earlier that if I'm going to show up for my family and ultimately show up for my clients as well as an extension of my family, you know, I've got to take care of myself physically. I've got to take care of myself emotionally, spiritually, as well as intellectually and understand what the changing world's all about. And so I I have certain habits that uh, that are baked into my day. I'm stay with the early rise and early bed kind of uh, focus, but I I do an hour of power um, virtually every morning. Um, And and, and that's just an opportunity for me to read and listen 
And I think baked into the the reading part has developed into listening to books. Uh, and so I, I love to awake and then kind of get a sense about what's going on in my real world and then uh, find myself in a in a story and learn more about just little things. Um, you know, I'll give you an example, you know, the the the, the way that we filter information in a world it just excites me and it really does. So uh, the light spectrum, as an example, you know, the, we, we, our eyes, our ability to understand what's going on around us, there's this huge spectrum of light and we have the opportunity to filter just a very small amount of it you know, like one or 2% of all the light we can filter. So I, I asked myself that question from time to time. It's like, well, what else is out there that we don't know about? Cause we can't see it because of the light waves or audio waves, same thing, you know, huge amount of wavelength out there. And we can tune into just a small amount of that. that excites me that that is just one of those human things that I think is just fun. I journal about it. So that that really gives me an opportunity to to to, to think deeper, I think. Um, and and it is um, probably more of a lifelong journey for me that uh, those things interest me. As a side note, uh, you mentioned the 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 volleyball, but I, I do this thing called hot yoga uh, on the physical side. And it's so yoga is either, you know, People either like it or don't like it. But when you do it in a hot room, heated to 104 degrees, I find that it is very relaxing. It is also very challenging and physically very taxing. And so I do it because of those kinds of things. I've done and continue to do this thing called P90X, which is a it's a weightlifting kind of program done by Tony Horton years ago. And I kind of followed through on it and kind of stay with it. But it's a, it, it is also another one of those where it just really challenges your psychological ability to overcome an obstacle. And so, uh, so there are a couple of examples of, of, of what I like to do when I'm not at work, so to speak, when I'm not focusing on uh, taking care of clients, uh, a couple of zany things that I've done. Uh, I get asked this from time to time, so I'll, I'll throw them out there. And I would never do them again. <laughs> I, 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 I did them once, and that was good, but I walked on hot coals and uh, so and survived it and without burning you know, my feet. And so that was uh, really a, uh, an, an obstacle. That was one of those overcoming that psychological fear. And I also did the drive on the road to Hana in Hawaii. So anybody who's been to Hawaii and knows about the road to Hana, it is a single lane road that hugs the side of a mountain. Oh, dang. And it only allows one car at a time. So when you go around a corner, a blind corner, you are literally uh, many times going to be faced with another vehicle. And one of you has to back up to get to a pullout where one can get by the other now of course the ocean is down uh, that's your uh -huh. your, your yeah. nemesis there. Uh -huh. <laughs> i would never do that again uh <laughs> how but, long did it take oh hours this road hours hours, hours. So you're clenching the steering wheel white knuckled for hours 
I, so I'm on the left-hand side. So thankfully I had the look down at the, at the ocean. My wife was on the passenger side. So she, all she had to do was focus on the mountain. <laughs> and praying, I'm sure a lot of praying. Oh, amazing experience. Would never do it again, but you know, love to claim to fame the driving the road to Hana in Hawaii. And just think how much closer that brought the two of you. Uh, almost drove us apart too. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like it much at all. We didn't know what we were getting into. We just didn't know that we rode to Honda didn't mean anything to us. And we didn't do any research. We just said, okay, let's go do this. Got to be a fun night. Right. Well, it was crazy. But you did it, as you said. We did it and survived it. All right. Now, we're going to wrap this up pretty soon. I'm going to ask you how people can reach you. But before we do that, why are you doing a podcast? Why did you decide to do this, this format? That, that's a great question. You know, doing a podcast is fun. I mean, I just perceive it to be fun and I want my life to be fun. All right. So anything I do, fun has to be showing up. And, um, and it's a great way, I think, to address the way people learn about us in today's world. I mean, we can put out white papers and say, hey, read this and, and a variety of that kind of thing. But if they're able to just give a listen mm-hmm. and it's in any way interesting, then, then I think it captures the audience that we're looking for. And we're just trying to get our message out. I think what we do is really special. I think it's, it's something that many people should learn about and understand. And so, um, I, and I think the podcast is just a natural way to do it and have some fun. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. And we will learn in the next episode about the team you were talking about before that works with you. But before we get to the next episode, we've got to wrap this one up. And I'm going to ask you, how can people reach you? Well, the easiest way, of course, is on our website or by making a phone call to our office. And both are very viable. And so the phone number is 321 321- Four five four three six two three. That's answered live. I know this is a, a world sometimes where it's when live people are not uh, available, but yes, that is answered live by uh, uh, Jenny Giro, and we'll meet her in the next episode. And so she is uh, very skilled, very people oriented, as you might guess. Our entire staff cares a lot about people, so um, that is a great way to contact our office and schedule, you know, just a, a, a quick phone call or whatever the case may be there. And then, of course, our website is also available, and that is PinnacleFinancialWealthMGMT.com. Ken, thank you so much. And listeners, follow this podcast to make sure you don't miss any episode of Roadmap to Retirement. Be sure to share with friends and colleagues, too. They'll appreciate it, I betcha. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Roadmap to Retirement podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.pinnaclefinancialwealthmgmt.com or give us a call at 321-454-3623. Securities offered through Center Street Securities, Inc., CSS, a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. 
Investment advisory services offered through Center Street Securities Advisors, CSA, a SEC-registered investment advisor. Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management, CSS, and CSA are independent entities. Discussions are meant to be general in nature and may not be suitable for all investors. Please consult a tax professional regarding any tax implications.